And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Audible is presented by Trader Joe's. Discover more about Trader Joe's by listening to their podcast, Inside Trader Joe's, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And uh, Bruce, most of this episode probably we will be devoting to our top 25, our annual top 25 coach rankings uh, recently published on The Athletic. But first, you were at the Combine. Uh, what, what should we know? What, what, uh, what were you up to there? Uh, so it's a great opportunity if you cover college football like we do to network. There's tons of coaches and people around the sport. It's really the closest thing that the NFL gets to a its own convention. Just pretty much everybody who works in the NFL is there. So that part is great. Uh, Indianapolis, even though it's probably not going to have it much longer, is an ideal city for it with its sky bridges and very accessible airport and all sorts of other reasons. Um and on Saturday, you know, we knew, like I did my freaks list story of guys in the draft, and it was there were four Georgia players all on the defensive side of the ball mentioned in the top 40. There could have been six. Um, it was just an amazing showing. And Nicobe Dean didn't even work out. Um, I got to spend some time with Nicobe Dean there just talking to him. But, like, it was a remarkable to me, and there was a lot of, freaky takeaways i mean this was the this was kind of the freakless of all you know combines i mean to me one of the guys we've been hyping from from the freaks list for a year Tariq woolen from utsa i mean he backed up the hype in a big way like um you know hat tip to jeff trailer he's the first person to really put you know put him on my radar a year ago but i mean for a corner to be six four 205 pounds Run four two six, vertical jump forty two inches. I mean, I was DMing with Tariq Wollen a couple of weeks ago for this story, and you know, he exceeded even what he said he was going to do, which is almost never happens. Guys do that, um, and that was just a. Um, I, the the flip side of it is from talking to some quarterback coaches in the league, the QB position. This was not a this is not a great group that's coming through at all, and um, so they struggled from you know from the from the on field workout, and that'll be interesting to see how those guys develop. But in terms of edge rushers and and guys on defense, it's a loaded group. There's some really good O linemen. Our guy Iki Aguanu ran in the you know in the mid four four nines at 315 pounds from NC State. Um, he definitely helped his stock even further. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how these guys pan out. First of all, I love how excited you get talking about somebody running a really fast 40 time. Well, it's more than that. It's like, it's, it's 
so many of these other I mean Aiden Hutchinson's 40 time relative to some of these other guys was not a wow one but in his case it's his change of direction lateral quickness that is like he ran faster than almost all the DBs and receivers there and running backs I mean at 6'6 260 pounds just you know amazing then you you know in some of the you know conversations you have with people you talk about um, who impressed them or didn't impress them in interviews. And so you get a little bit of another slice into people's character and whatnot. And I'll have a story about, you know, kind of combine takeaways on The Athletic later this week. I'm sure we'll talk more in the coming months about the quarterbacks, but it is interesting that it seemed like a underwhelming group going into last season, but like, okay, somebody will emerge. Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, Kenny Pitt, somebody will emerge as like the guy. Doesn't really seem like that happened. In fact, in some cases, they fell off, like Sam Howell. And now here we are in, in March. And still, like, I don't know that there's a single quarterback that you're like, yeah, that guy's a definite first round guy. No, I, and that's that's weird because usually there's a couple quarterbacks going right at the top of the draft. Kenny Pickett, people liked. I think he did pretty well there. The question with him, and it depends on how much people value this, is he has, quote-unquote, small hands. They measured oh, at that. And so, you know, I don't know how people – you know, it's not like Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has Joe small Burrow hands, has too. relatively small hands, too, and Joe Burrow's fantastic. So, um, you know, then there's other guys. Like, I think people were hoping Carson Strong would wow them, at, you know, on the on-field workouts with his arm. That really didn't happen. I think it was almost like there was disappointment in that. Uh, you know, I, I could see uh, Matt Corral to me is a wild card in terms of, I think he has a, he does have a lot of ability and I think he, I don't want to say he could be the boomer bust guy, but I think he could, he could definitely, it would not surprise me if he turned out to be a really good NFL quarterback um, of this group. I think Kenny Pickett is like, I'd be surprised if Kenny Pickett didn't end up doing nothing in the NFL. I don't know how good of an NFL quarterback he'd be, but I could, I could definitely see him playing. Malik Willis didn't actually run, um, which a lot of people were hoping he would just because he, he is such a dynamic athlete. But I think there's, there's a decent amount of buzz inside the league on Malik Willis because of his, his talent. And so it's, a, it's kind of a mixed bag. But I want to ask you this, because you and I are both admitted we totally whiffed on Josh Allen coming out of college. So can we play a little game now, or do you want to save it for later in the podcast? We're gonna, I'm going to throw some names at you, and I want you to be on record saying, I'm going to co-sign this guy, or I'm going to run from him. Yeah, go for it. All right. So I'm going to – and we got to set, like, parameters here because you can't, just can't be, like, a starter guy or whatever. But um, the first name I'm going to give you is somebody you mentioned a minute ago, and he's played a lot in college, and that's Sam Howell. Do you think Sam Howell will ever play in one Pro Bowl as a starting quarterback in the NFL? Oh, wow. That's, that's not where I thought we were going with this. Oh, that's where we're going. Um, no, I don't think he will. Okay. Do you? Um, I don't think he will either. The only reason why, it, like, sometimes the Pro Bowl ends up, like, guys... Yeah, you're using the, Q, the Pro Bowl as the benchmark, but sometimes the, the, the quarterbacks in the Pro Bowl are, the, are just the guys yeah, who are willing to play. I know, but it's, it's like you... Like, it's almost like... Will you be better than Andy Dalton? How about will you be better than Andy Dalton? So that's the bar I should use. I'll use the Andy the, like the like the Mendoza line here is Andy Dalton. Okay. Um. Well, in that case, I don't know. I think Sam Howell can be Andy Dalton. Um. 
he's he he's right on the fence. What about you? I'm gonna say yeah, that's where I right where I am. That like that was my over under. I don't know if he's gonna be better than Andy Dalton. I think that's what he's going to be. Um, the guy on the defensive player you think is the safest bet to go to at least five Pro Bowls or or make All Pro at least three times. All Pro is harder distinction in his career. Hmm. Is it lack of originality to say Aiden Hutchinson? No, that's a, that's a fine pick. I mean, everyone talks about his his athleticism, his change of direction, his energy, his maturity. Yeah, I am going to take, and I I wouldn't disagree with what you just said, but my safest bet for I think superstar in the NFL is Nicobe Dean. Interestingly, neither of us said. Um... So there, so there are two names that I bet if we played this game before the season, we would have said before Aiden Hutchinson or Nicobe Dean. Kayvon Thibodeau and Derek Stingley. Uh, and both guys have some, like, both guys missed a bunch of time. So now... Yeah, that's the, that's the hesitation for Derek me. Stingley was probably the best freshman on defense in 2019 when LSU had that great year. Uh he impressed people in that program with he went up against Jamar Chase pretty much every day in practice and held his own. Um, but he's a guy where there's definitely some question marks, at least some rumblings. And I've seen it on social media where, oh, he may fall out of the first round because he hasn't played much in the last two years. Um, my hunch, and this is, again, people know who I know at, at LSU, but if Derek Stingley falls out of the first round, I have a feeling people will go, hey, remember when Derek Stingley fell out of the first round and now he made All-Pro? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I didn't realize falling out of the first round was a possibility. Um, yeah, I think both those guys are guys who, if they end up going to 10 Pro Bowls, you'd say, I saw that coming. And if they end up disappointing, you'd say, yeah, I saw that coming too. Um, Hutchinson is in the middle. You know, I think, I don't think he's the next Aaron Donald, but um, I would be surprised, very surprised, if five years from now he's considered a bust. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give Who do you think will be the best running back? Running backs are so hard to predict in this. Who do you think will be the best running back of this group? Yeah, you're right. I mean, doesn't it seem like with running back more than any other position, there's a kind of randomness to There who, is. There's absolutely that. Uh, not complete random. But there's just a lot of, you know, guys who, who weren't great NFL running backs and vice versa. Uh, you go first. I am going to say Brees Hall, but I, Pierre Strong ran an exceptionally fast time. He is the running back out of South Dakota State, who the Senior Bowl guys at mid-season mid, uh, thought he was probably the best senior running back prospect in the country. I would not sleep on Oh, that. I think that's a great, a, a great pick. Um, you know, with Kenneth Walker, who's the obvious name here, it's like, okay, but I'm basing that off one season. Right, he wasn't like he had a like a lot of these Alabama guys. By the time you know Najee Harris or uh, uh, any number of Alabama running backs, by the time they get to the draft, you've seen them a lot of them. All right, I'll I'll throw this one out there. I'm going to go with Isaiah Spiller, uh, in part because he's so versatile. I could see a uh, uh, NFL team using him a lot of different ways, um, and I've just seen him be very productive for three years. Um, it does seem, as I'm looking at the list of top running backs, a lot of these guys are kind of one-hit wonders. So, Brees Hall is not, and Isaiah Spiller is not. Like, I could see James Cook, right, who just had a big uh, playoff run and was at Georgia for four years, 
um, become an NFL star, but the college samples, like the actual, his actual production in college, really it was, you know, very hit or miss up until the end. Yeah, they had three backs that were rotated in. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not going to say he's going to be Tyreek Hill or one of these guys who's with the Rams or with the Chiefs who ends up being a real matchup nightmare. But I will say this. Um, James Cook's name came up two different times with coaches I talked to about interviews that they really liked him. And I remember when he was coming out of high school, and maybe there's some stuff from around the opening, I think people wondered about like maturity-wise. And it seems like he's in a really good place. People liked him. Um, he's a, he is a dynamic guy in space. Obviously, he's not a huge running back, but um, he's one that really that really seemed to to um, you know. I I am with you on that. I guess um, I want to ask you about one other player, and then we will move on. So when people do these winners and losers of the combine weekend, and it usually comes down to do they run slower than expected or not, there is a player, and I feel like I'm setting you up for this the same as for me. There's a receiver who ran a 4.6540 with a pretty slow 10-yard split. It was 1.62, which is basically the same thing Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo ran and a few other guys. His vertical jump was 33 inches, sub 10-foot broad. These are all numbers that probably... Um, Sounds like a nightmare combine showing. Uh, yes. This player was a receiver and ate up a lot of people in the Big Ten. He is 6'1", 212-pound David Bell. See, huh, that's that's interesting. Why did he have such a bad combine? Um, I wouldn't bet against David Bell. Uh, I've seen him have too many big games against... It seems like he's, some of his best performances came in Purdue's biggest games. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, his shuttle time was also really mediocre i mean it was in the it was almost four six oh which is which is not good for almost almost anybody that's you know so i am inclined to think david bell was going to be really productive for a lot of the same stuff he just he just makes plays you know the only hesitation i had was you remember their Purdue's bowl game right yeah he didn't play brock yeah brock thompson ryan thompson's son who was like hobbling around it seemed like all, all but making plays you know he would like make a big catch and then and i was just like huh i don't know maybe it's maybe it's a it's a brahm offense thing where these receivers just jump in and they they become playmakers but i'm i'm inclined to say if somebody gets david bell in the fourth round or something i could see him ended up being a very productive third down receiver i'm defense. curious what hunter renfro is i'm trying to figure this out find this Combine. Hunter Renfro ran like a four five nine yeah. forty or something. Like, because th that's what it reminds me of. Like a guy who's not going to wow you with his measurables, but like he's a really good receiver. But Hunter Renfro is also like thirty pounds lighter than David Bell too. They're they're kind of different in that regard. It's just I think people were hoping he would run four five five instead of like it's like it's the other numbers. It's not just the forty time. It's sometimes it's the shuttle times that are that people kind of hold on to. Like that four five seven shuttle. Some of those guys with the Patriots, like Edelman, I think, and Deion Branch, they were like three nines, three eights. And, you know, like if you're talking about a receiver who gets in and out of breaks, I think those are numbers that a lot of times uh, NFL personnel people really kind of really grasp at. So um, you had, so I'm glad, you know, congrats, like I'm glad you got to, I know it's your favorite time of year. And you know, now mine's coming up, you know, a, a week, um, a week from Thursday, the NCAA tournament will tip off. And, and you will see me be as giddy, if not more so. Wait a minute. 
than you are about the NFL. Your favorite, you 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 are a you are a college run a college football podcast, and your favorite time of the year involves. Yes, basketball. I've always said my favorite season, sports season, is college football. My favorite event is March Madness, and I've watched less college basketball this year. I feel like I say this every year. I've watched less college basketball at any point in my life, but that's really true. I watched the whole Duke UNC Coach K game and was maybe the second or third full college basketball game I've watched all year. But I will be at rapt attention on Sunday for the brackets and, and from there on. Uh, I have watched a decent amount of college hoops. I did not get to see that game because I was, I think I was flying home from, uh, flying home from, from Indy. But it was, uh, it was, it was really interesting to watch the, 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 the whole scene, like they just kept cutting, you know, and you would appreciate this because you've, you know, like Coach K's, you're a little older than me, but Coach K's tenure kind of matches exactly my, how long I've been into college basketball. Well, no, 1980, I wasn't watching college basketball yet, but you know, 85, 86, when he first started getting going. And so there's this whole section of former Duke players. And every time they cut to the crowd, it's like a who's who of, of guys who played for Coach K. Oh, there's Shane Battier. There's Christian Leitner. There's Cherokee Parks. There's, it was you know, it was that was more interesting than the game itself, even though the game was a great game that went right down to the end. But um, yeah, that was a fun two hours. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you go to The Athletic, it's a sports website that Bruce and I both write for um, that you can subscribe to for a dollar a month. It's called this. It's the uh, the promo code is theathletic.com slash the audible. Once a year, we both rank the top 25 coaches in college football. Most years we are in, in deep disagreement. This year, our top 10s are actually like almost identical. Um, not much to debate there. Uh, uh, Let's see here. We have, oh, I had yours pulled up and then I lost it. So our first three are definitely identical. Nick Saban, one, duh. Dabo Sweeney, two. Kirby Smart has moved I up. I know there was three. like at least two uh, years of there. Kirby, where I had Kirby and Lincoln Riley right next to each other. And should I have them reversed? And yeah. I definitely have Yeah, Lincoln I think this above, is the first year I've had Kirby him, higher. Yeah. Now he's... Uh, four spots higher, but you know he just won the national championship. He's had an incredible run so far. Uh, that that did not take much thought. Um, Our next three in some order is uh, Ryan yep. Day, Brian Kelly, Lincoln. We both Riley. Kyle Winningham soared up the charts for both of us. I think we've always respected him, and I think I've always had him on this list somewhere. Um, but last year he finally got over the hump, 
and won the Pac-12, and and uh, you know what's interesting when you do these lists is, I mean, just last year I had two guys in the top ten, Ed Ogeron and Dan Mullen, who have been fired. I mean, Gary Patterson was a mainstay in my top ten. He was fired. You know, it changes over fast, right? Beyond the first few, and so I kind of felt like after I got past six, which is where Riley is is where things started to fluctuate quite a bit from, or, or, you know, change over quite a bit from last year. And I was like, yeah, why wouldn't I have Kyle Whittingham here? There's no one else who, I mean, I guess you could argue for Jimbo. I guess you could argue for Luke Fickle, but um, he's just had such a consistent run for so long now. Okay, so I need to chime in a little. So I have, I actually have Jimbo number seven, and then I had Kyle Whittingham number eight. I'm not going to quibble with you having seven. Uh, for me, what, you know, and I've always been a big believer, especially since I've been doing sideline, because you get to see that team in person and how physical they are in games, and it just makes you that much more impressed by them consistently. But given the adversity that they had with the multiple tragedies off the field and all sorts of challenges and the way they he got it on track and kept it on track um they finished number 12 i mean he's done an amazing job there and that's why i had him where i you know had him eight um jimbo jimbo's interesting to me because of these guys on this list uh once you get past number three you know brian kelly left uh, Notre Dame in large part he didn't, hadn't won a national title he's done terrific work but he hasn't done that Ryan Day shorter run but obviously hasn't done that either and Lincoln Riley the same and Jimbo's there he does have a ring um, did you hesitate at all on putting him where you had him or because you have him at number 9 behind Kyle Whittingham and um, and I had him number 7 last year I mean they didn't have a great season this past year and I and as you know, I, I, I based no, a lot on recent You're performance. Right. So now I saw him as a top 10 coach. He did just recruit the number one class in the country. He's only a year removed from a, they finished uh, fourth in the country. So there's a lot to like there. But no, I don't, I think Texas A&M fans put him in the same category as our top three. Uh, I'm not, not there yet. And we'll see if he can lead A&M to the promised land as has everybody or everybody there is certainly expecting. Our first big disagreement is the same one we've had for several years now. It just seems like the, the, the disparity get grows by the year. You have James Franklin number nine in the country. And I moved him and I moved him down uh, a, quite and a bit. I have him barely hanging on at 22 down from 17 last year. It's funny. We have three drastically different opinions of James Franklin on this podcast. You saw him as top ten coach, even after four back to back four and five seasons in the Big Ten. I have him low top twenty five, and our producer John Hayes is a Penn State fan who wanted him fired last year. So, all over the map. All right, John, explain yourself. Why do you hate him so much? Yeah, I was going to say, is this an opening for me? Uh, the situation is clearly this: is that if you look at James Franklin, he can build a program, right? And he's done it well. And he's recruited well. He's the best recruiting. He's the best recruiter in the history of Penn State football, right? I'll give him that. But in big games, time after time after time again, Penn State just falls short. It's expected now to lose to Ohio State. You win the Big Ten title in the first couple seasons, and you feel like 
a generational player in Saquon Barkley is going to take this program to the next level. And it, it didn't happen. And the quarterback position we know, Trace McSorley, a diamond in the rough, gets replaced by Sean Clifford, two guys that are, quite frankly, average at best quarterbacks. He needs to find somebody. Wait, you think Trace McSorley was average, an average college quarterback? Talking about from his recruiting process to get on Penn State's campus. It's not like he was somebody that was a five-star coming out of high school that Franklin got over an Ohio State program or any other program in the country. He was a great project that Franklin brought on campus, and he turned out really good. And by the way, he wouldn't have been as good if Saquon Barkley wasn't standing, ne- standing next to him in the backfield. Uh, so for me, the, the problem is, and, and, I, and remember, I'm, I'm a Penn State graduate, I'm a Penn State fan. John Clifford coming back for his fifth year at Penn State. I promise you, that's worst case scenario for every Penn State fan out there. Well, you're hoping that your freshman, new freshman quarterback takes over, I'm sure. And he was a five-star guy, yeah. right? By so, the end, I think he was. He started out yeah. under the radar. He's, no, he's definitely a five-star quarterback. I saw him at Elite 11. He's you know a huge guy with a lot of people who were interested in him. He was a five-star quarterback. Um, I, I mean, I used to, I used to, you know, kind of downplay what you were saying about the big games, John. And, you know, you got to assess the – but what's more troubling to me is, I mean, the program's just heading – has been heading in the wrong direction. And I gave him this new big contract, and recruiting is on the uptick, but it just feels like they've been heading in the wrong direction for several years now. And now it's not just about, well, he made a, a, a poor decision in a game here or there. It's why can't you figure out your offense? I'll give you this as my final fan take on the show of the day. It's that at the end of last year I was texting some buddies and I was saying – to myself, yeah, like it, it seems like Franklin is doing a great job on the trail, but the record, especially the last two seasons, and I'll throw out the pandemic year. I've got no problem with that. Um, but especially even last year, uh, did not reach expectations. Penn State was not even the best program in its state last year. It was Pittsburgh doing that. Does that hurt to say that? Yes, it does, Bruce. And <laughs> it's it's a, for a program that says unrivaled as – it's mantra. Uh, Pittsburgh is the rival, and uh, Pittsburgh was a better program than Penn State last year, and that that's a problem for sure. By the way, Pittsburgh is not, um, and I can say this as a son of a former Temple football player. Pitt football has amazing history. They, yes. by the way, have produced the best player in the NFL. Well, they used now. to be like rivals, real rivals, like similar programs in the seventies and eighties. But man, it's been a long time. But I mean, even before that, Pitt has has like legendary players who've come through that program. So. Anyway, um, here's my thing on Franklin, and this is I, I get it where you guys are coming from. They've they've had two dud years in a row. But when you say it's going in the wrong direction, as we said, you just got a five star quarterback. They had the class that was ranked number six in the country. I mean, that is a pretty. It's not like recruiting has fallen off the map now. Now I'm not well. Gonna, the year before, he had a, an uncharacteristically bad recruiting class, but this the one last year was great, and now he's off to a great start in 2023. Yeah, I mean, so we'll see where this is. I mean, again, uh, and we've had this conversation and this discussion for as long as as long as Stu and I have been doing this, dueling top 25s. I mean, I factor in, uh, Stu, I think it doesn't matter that he had coached at Vanderbilt before. Stu is over that, right? That doesn't matter at all to you. I mean, it's almost 10 years ago at this point. So it's I know, I, I, I mean, here's how I look at it is, I look at body of work. I cannot take out, like what he did, if you were to say, and this is maybe a different conversation, but to me it's not. If you were to say in the last, since we both have covered college football, who, what are the 10 most impressive coaching jobs anyone's done in college football? 
James, what James Franklin did at Vanderbilt is going to be probably in the top three for me. All right, counterpoint. Um, again, you know, this is you where you disagree with that, or no? No, no, no. That was it was great, but it was a long time ago now. Like this is the the single biggest difference in how we approach these rankings. Is I put it, I would say eighty percent. If I was do, if it was a mathematical formula, the last four seasons or so are probably account for like eighty percent of my rating because it's top twenty five coaches right now. If you're if you're gonna hang on to what they did, but in if the that past, but if that's the case, Stu, you wouldn't even have Jimbo Fisher in your top ten. Uh, no, Jimbo I Fisher, but no, because let me tell you this, and because I, I remember this from after Jimbo Fisher's record in the last four years, I think is is worse than Ed Ogeron's record is in the last four years. But he's a again just a year removed. I, if he didn't have the top ten season two years ago, yeah, he wouldn't be in my top ten. So what's the difference between what you're saying with Franklin, right? So, so he was at Vanderbilt. He was his last season at Vanderbilt was 2013. What's the difference between him and David Shaw, who neither of us have in here anymore? And how could you justify that, right? But if you're going back to 2013, I mean, he won three Pac-12 titles in four years. I can tell you what the difference is on that. Yeah, David Shaw took, and I think David Shaw is a really good coach. But David Shaw took over from Jim Harbaugh of a team that had just won a BCS Bowl and was top four in the country. Jim Harbaugh turned that thing from a non-factor into one of the most physical programs you're in the about, country. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh did that at Stanford. That's what David Shaw took over. What he took over at Vanderbilt was abysmal. And then what has been after he left has has got, con, has continued to be abysmal. What he took over at Penn State was a program that was off the national, was not nationally relevant. And then they ended up having three 11-win seasons. And by the way, I mean, they are in a tough division. Again, I'm not saying James Franklin is a top five coach. I'm not having that argument. I, I'll, I'll give you the last couple of years have been very disappointing. I am saying, though, that I factor in, you know, when I think of coaches, I don't, and I'm not saying you entirely, entirely dismiss it, but, like, some of that is a, is significant to me of where what they did in their career. Because it, it also, by the way, it's like it's still – you know, it's not like they completely forget how to coach. We're not talking about, you know, something. This isn't a less mile situation, I guess. No, it's not. In fact, it's again, it's only been. T- I mean, there's a reason I still have him in there. 2019 is not that long ago. He won 11 games. So, I mean, can I bring up something to you here, like um, on your list? And I'm going to jump ahead, but just for this purpose, and then we can jump back in. So you actually have James Franklin four spots be- be- below Paul Christ. And Paul Christ is on my list as well. But Paul Christ, the last two years, has not had, um, you know, it hasn't been great for him either. They're 9-6 and six in Big Ten play, and they're on the easy side. They're on the easier side, and, and he doesn't have anywhere near the body of work that James Franklin had. And you have him four spots below. So Paul Christ... 10 and 3 out of Wisconsin, 10 and 3, 11 and 3, 13 and 1, 8 and 5, 10 and 4, with a near, you know, I know, but lack, look. last second loss in the Rose Bowl, and then 4 and 3 in the COVID year, and, and 9 and 4 this past year, where Again, they started off 1 and 3 and then were had a chance to. They were still 1 and 3. I don't say they started off like. Well, whatever. but you, what do you do they from were, there? They, they, I thought they might free fall from there, and instead, I think they won. Um, I'm eight just in a saying. Row. You're you're seven Franklin, who has gone eight and ten the last two years in the Big Ten. 
He's nine and six. It's definitely better, but it's also they're in the easy side of the of the conference. I think you just answered the question. No, I don't think nine I did. and six and eight and ten. One because of them's a winning you, record and one of them's a losing. One of them's record. one of them's again. They're not. It's not apples to apples here. You're not playing Ohio State. You're not playing Michigan over there. You're playing pretty much mediocre programs, especially if you're Wisconsin. You're the top of that. That's all I'm saying. And you have him four spots ahead. And their comparison, look at what he did. One guy did at Pitt compared to what one guy did at Vandy. I'll be honest. I don't think that I, in the course of doing this, ever like put Paul Christ and James Franklin next to each other, like the selection committee would know, in the ranking teams, you know. I, I was cognizant of him and P.J. Fleck, who I have very close together. Um, and and also, just like, I did drop Paul Christ four spots. So I wasn't, it wasn't like the last two, the drop-off the last two years went unnoticed. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I think the biggest one where we, where you really hang on to the, the good old days and say, oh, the guy hasn't forgotten how to coach, and I look at the past four years and go, yeah, I can't justify this, is Chip Kelly. It never even entered my mind to put listener of the audible chip kelly in the top 25 coaches just because you know he's been at ucla for four years now and the best season he's had so far last year was still an eight win season you have him as one of the top 20 coaches i do because if you look at his record he is 64 and 32 overall he was 46 and 7 at oregon and people can say okay that was a long time ago I mean, it took them a while to turn around UCLA, but he is—he was eight and four last year. That's not a terrible year or anything like that. It feels like they have finally turned the corner there. And again, I think when you look at his record in total, you have guys above where I have him who've had like two good, two like two strong seasons. You didn't even have him in just miss the cut, and you have Dave Aranda there. I love Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda's had one winning season. 
You had Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker's had three seasons. Two have been losing seasons. He's had one year. Well, that's why they're in just miss, not in the I know, 25. but you didn't even have a guy who went 46-7 and seven and 33-3 and yeah, three in the Big Ten. I mean, just kind of like also, what you said with Franklin way, and Vanderbilt. Like, Chip Kelly, if you were judging him just on his Oregon tenure, that's, that's a top 25 all-time uh, coaching era, although it was only four years. But, I mean... 2012 was his last season. We're a decade removed from that now. I got to judge it by the UCLA, and he's 18 and 18 and 25. And by the way, it's not, you know, UCLA is not Alabama, but it's also not. I mean, Jim Mora won 10 games back to back seasons there. It's not impossible yeah, but to he, do he wasn't better than eight them, and four. He wasn't winning them at the end. I mean, no. look at what that program was. I'm I saying eight think... and four, and you're like, he's got it heading in the right direction now, but it's taken a long time, and I don't know. I just. Uh, I think, you know, for you to have him in the top 25 is basically almost entirely off what he did at Oregon, right? No, I think it's it's also, look, there's a couple of guys. Look, I had Leach and just missed the cut. I don't think you can, I don't think you can completely disregard what guys did or at earlier stops in their career because I do think it's reflective of what they can do once they get, you know, get entrenched there. I mean, you have Lane Kiffin, number 11, Right. Lane Kiffin, you want to talk about the last four years. I mean, yes, he had a good year last year. The year before that, he was four and five in the SEC. And he that was, was his first coach. season. Doesn't every coach in America get a pass for their first season? And by the way, even in his first season, uh, taking over Ole Miss with a terrible, terrible defense, they beat Indiana, uh, in, you know, the best Indiana team in history, possibly in a New Year's Bowl game. I mean, to me, Lane Kiffin... Lane has been a head coach for 10 years. You know how many times they finished ranked in the top 25 in those 10 years? I'm sorry, it's actually 11 years. Uh, I do because I have his record in front of me. Uh, it was twice, tw- twice. In 11 years. Twice in 11 well, years. Well, you have to judge them based on where they are at that time. And so at his FAU teams were not going to get ranked. Or but 10 years. I'm sorry, it's 10 years. Since, and again, it's interesting though because with... Again, like kind of like how you're holding on to Oregon with Chip and, and Vanderbilt with James Franklin. You're probably still docking Kiffin for USC, which admittedly was uh, not a good coaching job. But at, since coming out of the Saban Rehab uh, Project, he has been a college head coach for five seasons in which he went 11-3 and three and won a conference title at a school that had never won a conference title. 5-7, and 10-3, and three, another conference title. Goes to Ole Miss five and five the first year. Last year ten and three and a New Year's Six bowl game, and I think you would agree at this point has pretty much. It's pretty widely uh, held, right, that he's one of the top offensive coaches in the sport. Um, I look. I have him on my list. Uh, my point though is, you have a guy who in ten years, and it's like yes, USC was dealing with sanctions. USC, when he got there, still had a lot of players, a lot of really good talent there. Oh, um, no. FA, his F- USC, I look at him and it's almost like two separate coaches. I, I think he was a very immature, very ill-prepared coach when he took over at Tennessee and USC. And then he went through the Saban period, and he came out of it a much better head coach. I think some of it here, like the Conference USA is right now, I think we would agree, is probably the weakest of all the FBS conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's almost like, okay, and I don't want, I don't like, if it wasn't for last year, um, for, for Ole Miss, like you had him pretty high on your list last year. Though, no, right? I had him 20. Uh, he was the big on ri- list, one of the yeah. big risers. Like he went from 24th to 11th. Um, yeah, that, I don't you know. Just, so wait, I just, just, to, 
it sounds like what you're saying is winning Conference USA should not count as anything. No, it's different. I just I'm just not that swayed by that particular. You know, it's not like he won Conference USA with Ole Miss's players. Like he, he 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 won. He was the best. He had the best team in that conference that he happened to be in at the time, two times in three years. It's kind of like Look, Lance, I, I, I have Lance Leipold on here. Lance and, Leipold uh, also won sixty three. He, he won D three national title. To me, it's a good sign when you do it at multiple levels. He won at D three. He won in the MAC. It's too early to say whether he'll win in the Big Twelve. Um, I don't. I look at it as because look, there's been a group of five coaches who had great success and then did nothing at the Power Five level. But the ones who do prove that they can do it at multiple levels, like to me, that's the sign of a good coach. Like PJ Fleck has done. Um, you know, certainly, um, I think he's well on his way to showing that. I think Cristobal is well on his way to showing that. You know, you can uh, that you can win both group of five and and uh, Power Five. Okay, so uh, we'll so was that my biggest? I mentioned I thought Chip was your biggest, most puzzling one. Was was Lane Kiffin at eleven? What you thought was my most puzzling? Uh, Lane Kiffin eleven is probably the most puzzling one. Again, I have Lane on my. Uh, where do I have Lane? I want to say I have him in the high teens. I have Lane. I have Lane seventeen. Um, I think beyond that one. Uh, you have Munkin ten, which I think is uh, is pretty high. Yeah, we have a pretty big uh, disparity there. I have him ten, and you have him twenty fourth. Wow, yeah, that's big. I think you're forgetting how god awful Army was. For I'm about, not between am, World War Two basically and when he became the coach. I'm not. I mean, I have him in my top twenty five. I just think uh, some of these. I don't know. I, you had Bill. You always have. Bill I Clark think you really have. High. I'm starting to pick this up. You just do. Not, you just do not care about outside the Power Five. If, if it's it, not unless that I unless they're doing it at the Power care. Five, you just completely downplay it. No, I don't. It's not entirely true. I definitely put more stock in who they are playing consistently um, in that because look, I have Freeze 19. He's obviously not at a Power Five uh, program right now. I think he would be my highest. Freeze is 19. I have um, Lance Leipold at Kansas 23, Munkin 24, uh, Kalani Satake 25. I think just I just think Jeff Munkin's a heck of a coach. He took Georgia Southern to three uh, FCS uh, semifinals. He gets to Army, which hasn't been good in. Uh, fit, I mean, they had uh, they had like one really good season in 1996. And then I believe they only had one winning season between 96 and when he took over in 2014. He has two bad years to start. And then since then, 8 and 5, 10 and 3, 11 and 2, 5 and 8 down year in 2019, 9 and 3, 9 and 4. Beat an SEC team in a bowl game last year. Remember, the, he got basically got Major Applewhite fired at Houston because they beat them so badly in that bowl game that year. Um, he's a really good coach. Uh, let's see. One, the one guy you have on your list that I don't, Bill Clark. Yeah, you've been downplaying really that for years too. Um, now we are a little far removed at this point. I just thought when he got when he when UAB got shut down for two years and they came back and he had them immediately in a bowl game and, and won a conference title. I mean, I think I had him in the top ten or close. I think to you it. had him like four. So it's settled. No, I didn't have him. It's settled down a little bit since then, but. 
even in a quote-unquote down year last year, UAB went 9-4 and four and beat Kalani Sataki's 13th-ranked BYU team in a bowl game. You have him, what, others receiving votes? Uh, I don't even know if I, I maybe? I don't know if I, I don't have that in front of me. I do not. I do not. Oh, no, I, I do. Yes, I, of course I do. So the guys we mentioned, um, I'm surprised you did not have Leach and others receiving votes at least. Now, full disclosure, people know I wrote a book with him. But, man, like what the guy did at Texas Tech, what he did at Washington State, um, and it's not like he's been he's not really been awful so far taking over Mississippi State. I could be wrong, but I think we were past Mike Leach's peak at this point. I think we were seeing him on the kind of downward slope a little bit. They they were decent last year. In fact, they yeah. they beat A and M. Um, but you know, yeah, that great 2018 season at Washington State with Gardner Minshew, and then he went six and seven. And then he got the Mississippi State job and went four and seven the first year and seven and six. Oh, I for some reason in my head I thought they were eight and four last year. Seven and six. Um, I could have. I guess I could have put him in there. I mean, I, I never seriously considered actually having him. I thought maybe I'd sneak him in at the end, but I never thought about having him like solidly in the top twenty-five. And apparently, I mean, I don't know why. Why this is a debate? You he missed your cut too. Yeah, I mean, I he was the. I thought of getting him in there, just, um, but I ultimately did not because I think it would have come at the expense of, you know, Monk and Satake at the end. Um, let's talk was, about uh, let's talk about two guys in the same division, who I at least really struggled with what to do this year, even though they are mainstays: Kirk Ferentz and Pat Fitzgerald. Kirk Ferentz won ten games last year. It's not you know it's uh, we're not talking about somebody whose program has has free fallen by any means but you know i mean there was a little bit of luck a little bit of turnover luck involved in their their hot start last year and they were just in fact they finished in the top 25 four years in a row so i guess what i'm saying is i felt like he has to be in there but i felt a little bit icky about it because their offense is so terrible and he won't fire his son obviously as the oc so it's kind of like that's the sign of, of bad program management when you're putting your family over the you know uh, health of the program. I mean, he's 35 and 13 the last four years. Yeah. I mean, on I, paper, it's hard to argue with the results. I mean, I'm um, surprised you didn't have him a little higher. I know you have history of not always looking favorably on yeah, him. Yeah, you so have him um, 18. You know, factored into it. I mean, I think I, yeah. earlier in his tenure, like early 2010s, they got kind of mediocre. They've actually been pretty good. Like I said, top 25, four years in a row. I do think there's a little frustration from Iowa fans that there were a couple opportunities where they could have been even better in blue games. And last year, I mean, if they had even a, a mediocre offense, I mean, they still won the Big Ten West. Obviously, they got blown out, and they had no offense to speak of. I think it was in the 120s. So, And yet they went 7-2 and two in the Big Ten. I mean, they have been better in... In the last four years, they've actually been better than I Wisconsin. think that is. I think you're right about that. Okay. No, I am right. I, I uh, did the math. And then Pat Fitzgerald, so. who, again, has usually been a mainstay on this list and is only a year removed from – he's been the Northwestern's coach since 2006, and his best season was the COVID 2020 season when they finished 10th in the country. But 
That was sandwiched between not one, but two, three and nine seasons, one and eight in the Big Ten. Last year, they were truly, truly awful. And so I just did not think I could justify putting him in there anymore. And apparently you had the same, you reached the same decision. Yeah, a couple of one and eight years in the, and again, they're on the easier side of the conference. Um, yeah, there was a really, you know, strong year in the, in the COVID 2020 season. Um, you know, I think he's a really good coach. And for me, obviously I'm more looking at big picture than I think you do with this, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to keep the list of 25. I mean, I don't it know. It is. I don't know how else to and Yeah, say. if you're looking at the bigger picture, he's had a tremendous tenure there. There's no question. I mean, four, I'm sorry, uh, three 10-win seasons since 2012, uh, two Big Ten West titles, um, including in 2020. And you remember they were very competitive in that game against Ohio State and Justin Fields. But there's a lot going wrong with that program right now. Um, you know, I remember I was on the Mick McCall, Fire Mick McCall cause a couple years ago, but they did change OCs and they were still abysmal on offense last season. They just haven't recruited at quarterback and receiver. Um, so yeah, hard to say top 25 coach. I feel like there's one you should be like, and again, there's, there's two guys I think I have a little higher than you do. And I'm curious where you are with this. And it is, um, Dave Clawson and Matt Campbell. I was a little surprised when I realized that I didn't have Dave Clawson ranked at all last year. Um, and probably that probably means I've never had him ranked. Obviously, they had the big... Um, I mean, he's he's been taking them to bowl games, which is no small thing. But they had their big breakout year last year in 11-1 season. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a very innovative offensive coach. The slow mesh is a, is a extremely fun uh, concept to watch. So, I don't know. I didn't think it was all that controversial. I have him 15th. Where do you have him? Uh, I have him 11. So, we're not even that different on it. No, not too much. Um, I just feel like what he's been able to do there, you know, it's Wake Forest. And I'm just knowing that people thought, oh, it's a really experienced team. They went 11-3 and we're 14 in the country. Uh, I think the expectations there are they should be, you know, maybe as good this year. And he has done it. Again, I, I feel like a broken record talking about previous jobs, but he did, you know, really amazing work at Fordham, at Richmond, and then at Bowling Green. And he's produced a lot of really good coaches. He's got his fingerprints on on kind of their careers in the past as they've had uh, some upward mobility. So to me, um, you know, he was really like a, a guy that I just think that just doesn't get enough credit. Um you know, more than so for years, you've given me flack about not having Jim Harbaugh in the, in the rankings at all. And then coming off his big season last year, the Big Ten title beating Ohio State, he has entered my list at, or I shouldn't say entered, returned after a couple of years absence at 13. And we arrived at pretty much the same point. You have him 12. But explain then, you're, you're the world's biggest Jim Harbaugh fan and you have him oh, no, no, whoa, 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 whoa. I am not the world's biggest Jim Harbaugh fan. Well, you've been pushing him for years. I've been pushing him because, again, I look at, you know, again, I look at what he did at Stanford, which, as you agree, you live out there. And I don't know if you did at the time, but you remember how awful Stanford football was. No, you don't you have know? to remind me of all that. I'm yeah. just asking, like, here I finally gave him the recognition you think he deserves. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, why don't you have Dave Clawson hire? 
I mean, <laughs> no, Harbaugh's I at least. No, I would say, why didn't you have Dave Clawson maybe higher than, uh, who did you have? That was the one. Why didn't you have Dave Clawson he, higher than, you know. Mark Stoops? Lane Kiffin. Yeah, well, we've gone over that. Um, I could I could maybe flip him and Mark Stoops, uh, but, like, it gets tough when you're, first of all, it's not apples to apples when you're comparing the coach of Michigan to the coach of Wake Forest. Um but Harbaugh's had other double-digit win seasons there. This was the first for Wake. As for Matt Campbell, I mean, I've been very, very high on him, and I still am. But last season was a dud. And, frankly, two of the last three seasons were kind of duds. And I just didn't think I could justify I had him 10th last year, and I didn't think I could justify that anymore. He dropped to uh, 16th. You have him 13th, so not that different. Yeah. I dropped him down some, as you said. I mean, look they it, they rarely had gotten to seven wins in that school's history and they've had five in a row but again the high water mark was the 2020 season they finished ninth that's the highest the school's ever finished um i think if they had gotten to nine wins again even though it probably would have been a little in in my eyes a little disappointing i still think um you know i th- i think he's this is where i i i struggle with this list a little bit if you ask me and not stare at their wins and losses record, but what I feel like what they do for the program, um, I would probably say, like I'm trying to frame this in a certain way, which would be if Jim Harbaugh left and Matt Campbell got the Michigan job, and this is maybe a different conversation or maybe it's not, but if you said to me after the top six on both our lists, because they are the same, said, who off this list, if they got the Michigan job, do I think would be a great hire? I think Matt Campbell might have been my one of my first choice. Um, in fact, I'm... So then it makes sense to have him basically almost tied with Harbaugh. Or it makes, you know, like, it was somewhere in that range. I'm just saying, like, I guess I, I look at this sometimes you know, where it is. And look, Mario is a unique fit. I mean, nobody on this list with the possible... Let me see about this. If you said to me, and again, I'm try, I feel like I'm starting fires left and right here, but if you said to me, not Nick Saban, and Miami is going to hire one guy on this list, Mario Cristobal would be that one. Yeah, that's a, that's a perfect fit type situation yeah and in fact i had to try to not because he hasn't coached a game there yet to just remember to base his ranking solely on what he's done up to this point um did you ever at any point i meant to mention this when you were grilling me on lane kiffin when you were doing this and because look it's not there's no science behind why one guy is 11th and one's 13th did you ever find yourself because i did with kiffin just being like you know what between these two guys i just have more confidence than because that's kind of how Kiffin moved up a little bit on my list. I was like, well, I could have Harbaugh ahead of him, but if you're giving, if you're starting a team and you're giving me the choice, I just have more confidence in Kiffin. I just have more confidence in Mike Gundy. Um, there's a, it, I get, I'm saying like beyond the records and the stats, a little bit of a gut feeling. Um, I think I don't look at it that way. I look at try to see what they factor into, what else they've done for their program, what else they've done. I mean, it's hard for me to, to operate just in a vacuum, like I said, with Leach, because he has been such a, you know, had his 
role in innovation in such a big way. It's hard for me to look at Chip Kelly in, in that way without also the same because I know how much of his fingerprints are on the rest of the sport. Like when you you talked about Lane, I think Lane's a really good play caller, even though he wasn't doing it last year. Um, you know, Chip Kelly's one of the best game planners in college football. Like he's one of the best offensive minds. Like I'm not sure there's anybody on this list, probably Lincoln included, who I would say is probably you know a, a brighter offensive mind. You know, I mean, but then, there, but the same token, I mean, I don't think people look at Dabo or Jim Harbaugh that way, but those guys are very, very successful head coaches because there's so much that goes into it. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, you talk about, we talk about Dave Clawson and the slow mesh and he obviously deserves a ton of credit for it, but it's like, obviously, you know, Warren Ruggiero is the, who's the OC there. He's kind of the architect behind it. So, I mean, there's just... I think there's so many kind of layers to this where you can come at it. But when you said, you know, when you're talking about, like, do I think just who do I have a lot more confidence in? Like, it's hard for, like, I get why you say it, but I'm also looking at it as you have, like, a handful of guys on here who are deserving, but they're also, like, it's almost like they're coaching in some ways at a different sport than Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and Dabo Sweeney are. You know what I mean? That's why it's hard to do. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I remember like you have you year, have Bill Clark, of... you have Bill Clark, who has done a really good job there at UAB. Um, but it's like in a lot of times, like for especially the Conference USA schools, it's like it's just so much different than what they're working with compared to the top end of the Power Five. I think it's very hard to compare a group of five and a, and a power five coach head to head. But I also think it's actually easier for me to say, because, you know, some, there's it's the age old argument, right? Is it the coach or is it the players? Um, or is it more the coach or more the players? Like we have both have Ryan Day very high. And, but, you know, like every Ohio State coach seems to do very well. Uh, how much of it is him and how much of it is the school and the And look, he took the over he, to talent. he took over for Urban and he kept the best parts of Urban's program. Just like honestly Lincoln took over for for Bob and he he took a lot of the best parts of that. And so they were kind of there was an incubation process. I mean, I still think those guys like you do. I still think those guys are top 5 coaches or top 6 coaches, I guess. But it there is a different dynamic at play than who did you take over and how much of a rebuild do you have to do? And that's why for me, why I do think it's easy for me to say that Jeff Munkin's a really good coach or um, Bill Clark is a really good coach because in that case, it is absolutely not the program. If anything, they are having to overcome the place where they're at. Bill Clark had his kids there and the school shuts down his program for two years. So that's coaching that they're as successful as they are. It's Munkin is why Army's as successful as they are. There's no like... Well, is it just because they always get good recruits no matter who the coach is? Like, to me, it's easier to identify Lance Leipold, like the overachievers, than it is, frankly, the um, the guys who are at the who are just, is this just the latest guy to succeed at this Blue Blood school? Before we finish, I do want to ask you, since it's the just missed the cut part, and I did reference these at the end, but you had two guys on there who've had one winning season. Is that too much recency bias? Like, I wasn't even... For, for Dave Aranda and Mel Tucker, like, I'm not even... I, I will can, I would consider Mel a year from now. I just think it's just, just not enough I think you're reading work. too much into this just missed group. It was more like... I just... 
it's more just to like show that they're on my mind, you know, like they're ascending and like Billy Napier's on my just missed. Billy Napier's been a been a head he's coach had some, for a while. A lot though. of success, yeah. Um, I just think it's hard to evaluate. Like it, again, we both love Dave Dave Aranda. Dave has been there two years, and with the exception of Apu, most of those players were Matt Rule guys. So he had one really down year as he took over, and he and one great year. But it's like such a small body of work. Like I feel like well, that's why I ultimately couldn't justify including them. You know, it's interesting. I don't think we've ever done this before, but we were recording this before it actually gets published. Mm-hmm. So we don't yet know what the reader reaction is. It would not surprise me if the reaction reader reaction is more of how can you not have Mel Tucker in there? How can you not have Dave Miranda? Dave Miranda just went twelve and one and won the Big East, and Mel the Tucker, Big you know, East, the Big East, the, the Big you 12, got the tournament sorry. on your head, man. Yeah, uh, Mel Tucker just East. took Michigan State to a New Year's Six win. I mean, I'm I feel like I'm showing restraint. Uh, compared no, you to don't. What, no, you don't. You're just. I mean, you that. you don't think there's gonna people are gonna be like, how can you have James Franklin in there after two dud seasons, but not Mel Tucker, who just um, won 11 games at Michigan State? Because but, Mel Tucker's these are the like. Look, I like Mel Tucker. I feel like I've been beating the drum for Mel Tucker since he was at CU. Mel Tucker's first year at CU, five and seven. His second year at Michigan State, two and five. This year, great year, eleven and two. But we're talking about previously to that. His record was seven and twelve. It's just not enough body of work yet. No, I know. Dave Aranda's only been a head coach for two seasons, and the first year was terrible. So that's why I can't put him in the top twenty-five yet, even though he is one of the five reigning Power Five conference champions. Um, let's wrap it with this. You threw a game at me earlier. I wasn't expecting. I'm going to throw one at you. Um, I don't know which of your guys were not ranked last year. I had Gundy, which I'm. Really embarrassed why I didn't have him ranked going into the season, but Gundy comes on, Harbaugh, Mark Stoops, Dave Clawson, Kalani Sataki. Who is a coach who is not in either of our top 25s who you could see being on there a year from now? Uh, I could see Mel Tucker after all that. Yeah. I just think his, he would have more time to be on there. Um, I could definitely see Jamie Chadwell from Coastal. I think he's, you and I are both big fans of his he's got a big reload uh on his hands this year if they have another double digit win season then he's a really good coach um there's two uh, that i want to throw out that are one is pat narduzzi did you think of him not really because his friend is i remember we had this we did have a podcast in the uh in the early part of last year where you you flung him under the bus like you after they lost yeah they lost to um western michigan yeah and the other one i think is dana holgerson who's a really good offensive coach he just had a really excellent year and he was pretty good at west virginia um, if he can sustain it there, I could see him being top 25. Yeah, I agree with those. Um, I'm trying to think of because somebody who we wouldn't have already mentioned in the, you know, just missing the, like I could say that Billy Napier comes in and has a really good first year at, uh, oh, did you ever consider Jeff Brom? I have in the past. It's weird because they went nine and four. And I feel like early in the podcast, I was talking him up and, regard to the offensive piece of this um my answer to this question by the way is sam Pittman, uh who i also again like i didn't but yes 
too soon right now. But if he comes back next year and has in his third year at Arkansas, if they go nine and three, um, I would think at that point I'd have to say, oh yeah, this guy's one twenty five. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I feel like Sam Pittman. You know, it's not like Dave Aranda because the first year was, you know, on paper not great, three and seven. Although the you know Arkansas was not. You know, Baylor, Matt Rule got it going again in a big way, whereas Arkansas had been sputtering really bad. But I, I, th- I mean, whatever Sam Pittman's record was the first year, everybody thought he, really he, good. he yeah. did a great job because they were so terrible under Yeah, I thought Sam Pittman, that's been a, that's been a terrific hire for Arkansas. So yeah. I, yeah, I know my rule is you have to have more than three years, but... Yeah, he's definitely should be on the radar. The one other name, and I know he was on mine at one point. I'm pretty sure he was on yours at least before, and that is Brian Harson. I don't see him. <laughs> Are you saying he's going to be in the I'm top asking, 25 coaches a year from now? I think he's going to be in the top 25 coaching changes. Okay. Um, I actually am kind of expecting to hear some Ralph to Russo catch some fire flack about, about Mac Brown. No, I'm expecting to catch some. <laughs> I'm expecting to catch some flack about not having Pittman in there this year. It's only been two years. I it's mean, again, I think you kind of open yourself up by having those other guys in the just miss the cut section because then it feels like you're considering them. Um, you know, I think that I think you, I think well, you're the doing two guys, yourself a disservice. Yeah. By having Did you that. say you won't consider a guy until he's had three years? Yeah. Did you make an exception for Ryan Day? Ryan Day has had a little more than three years, though. He was the No, year but long. I feel like you you had to have had him in there. Last year? After his second season. No, I don't think I did. Huh. Because I remember I had to, we had, I remember writing specifically, because people were expecting me to have him in there after one year. Like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I, it's got to be two years minimum. Let me see what I did just while we're talking about this, because I thought that's what it was. Uh... No, I had him last year. He was twenty three and two, so it was more than. So I guess I have to have at least two years, at least more than two years. Okay. All right. Well, if you still want to read the article after we basically revealed the whole thing, <laughs> then some. Uh, go to theathletic dot com slash the audible because we have this fantastic promo right now for a dollar. Hey, a by month the way, six months. So I've yo yoed Whittingham. It looks like I didn't realize I had him in my top ten in twenty. 20 and then he went from 9 to 12 to 8 I guess so they were one of those teams that barely played in 2020 so you know you would have you probably just kind of forgot about him that year by the way I would be remiss if I saw it there was a picture that I saw online it was a recruiting related picture that just I can't unsee it it was deep squat Gary Patterson in Texas gear have you seen it on yes doing the hook'em sign yeah it's so bizarre. The guy, I don't think it's a stretch to say, like, when he was the coach at TCU, that nothing, there was nothing he hated more. Nope, that's not true. He hated Baylor, but he, he also hated Texas. Yeah. He's one of college football's you know, smartest defensive coaches and certainly one of their great characters. Um, it's still just like, like, I couldn't stop looking at it. The picture. I mean, I think it was a little different if he was just standing straight up, but he was like kind of in a deep squat. It was like, just. Was this the ultimate sign? Like, I've always said that that you know, college football fans who get really um, 
you know, Oklahoma fans are going through this right now. They feel really, really burned when a coach changes jobs and kind of forget that, you know, this team is your passion, but for these guys, it's their employer and they, it's who pays their check. And they're not necessarily, you know, looking at it the same way you do. Is this the ultimate example of this? Is this basically like, well, now that he's getting his paychecks from the University of Texas, he has no reservations about flashing a hookum sign? I don't know. I mean, that, you know, that guy did more for that program than just about anybody coaching in college football at their program other than probably Saban. You know, this, there's a statue. He wouldn't have gotten him in that league. You know, he raised a ton of money. I mean, I, I don't think they would I, – I think most TCU fans would, would like – Roll with it, even if he got a hook'em tattooed on his chest. Do you think he's grinning, bearing it through that part of it, or he's? First of all, I didn't realize that analysts or whatever his role is would take part in these recruiting photo shoots. Um, I think he. You know, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask him. I mean, we should ask him that question. We should. We should. Um, we. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to think if he is like just kind of sucking it up and doing it, or he's like, screw it. TCU fired me. I got no allegiance to them anymore. Um, I, I'm full on Texas. Not, yeah, Gary Patterson is not poker face Gary Patterson at all. He's not suck it up and do it guy, I don't think. So um, I don't know. Uh, somewhere along the way, somebody I hope is going to do an interesting story with him about. Hint, just because hint, hint. It, it is a unique situation. Are you doing a hint hint it, right now? I am not doing a hint hit right now. All right, you better get on it now Sam, that you've tipped off all of our Sam colleagues. Or, <laughs> Sam or Max are hustling. All right. Well, um, no emails this week, but let's definitely do them next week. As always, you can send your emails to the audiblepod at gmail.com. And for those of you like me who also care about basketball, uh, at least for these three weeks in March, Enjoy Selection Sunday. We'll see you next time. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.